Welcome to the Mindset Entrepreneur video podcast. I'm your host, Mark Altman, and I'm here with a special guest today, Will Phillips of Rex Roundtable. Will, how are you? Terrific. Happy to be here. Well, thrilled to have you. You know, I, I, I know uh, Rex Roundtable is a uh, group of executives. It's a roundtable for executives, but what I really want to know is we're seeing more and more of these groups pop up these days, certainly with the Vistage groups, and there's a lot of masterminds groups. And you founded this organization 30 years ago, and not only is it, is it doing well, it's thriving. And so could you talk a little bit about maybe some of the differentiators in, in Rex Roundtable that, that you've seen and, and been able to execute? I, th- I think uh, there's a couple. Number one, our purpose is twofold, and that is to improve your business and to improve your life. And what we've seen over the years is that if you don't improve both of those, you put a limit on how high the performance of the business can be if your own life doesn't improve and you don't grow. So that dual strategy uh, goes very deep because we have over and over again, our members of Rex Roundtable say, you know, there's stuff I talk about here I don't talk with anybody else. And some of them even say, I'll tell my wife some of the stuff I talk about here. I don't even tell my therapist. Wow. (laughs) And so we get a depth of revelation and intimacy, if you will, uh, in terms of what people talk about because it's an extremely safe place to talk. And it's safe for two reasons. One is what goes on in the roundtable doesn't go outside of it. But more importantly, the people in the roundtable are your people. They are other business owners who understand what it's like to run a business and Often, when you talk to someone who's not in that position, they don't quite get it. So these folks get it, and they care. So that one of the values that we really push in our roundtables is caring for one another. That's the glue that holds this together, so that we have many 25- and 30-year members who've been coming to, I think one of them said, Will, I'm, I'm coming to my 80th meeting. This is for a busy business owner who carves out three days to come to one of our peer groups three times a year hasn't missed one in 80 meetings. That's like 25 or 30 years. Well, I want to explore something you just said because it's something that I think could fly under the radar and it shouldn't. And that is you're creating a culture of people caring for one another. And that's something that if it's not part of the organizational values, it's not going to happen. So what are you doing specifically to create that culture? You know, I, th- I think we, um, we talk about it, but then we take advantage of it. So uh, a few years ago, one of our members had a teenage son, 13, 14. He's out with his buddies. And in the middle of the meeting, our, uh, our client gets a call that his son was screwing around with some gasoline and fire, and he got seriously burned. He was in the hospital with pretty heavy uh, burns. And within that group of 15 other CEOs and our network of 150, we had raised $30,000 to cover the insurance costs that weren't covered for this guy in about 24 hours. That's great. Um, More interestingly, two guys called up Mark, whose son it was, and said, Mark, uh, you should be with your son. I'll come down and run your business for as long as it takes. Two people said that. That's incredible. And uh, one of them actually did it. 
And so it's that kind of, we call it kind of, you get blood on the table. (laughs) Um, Another, I'm really kind of stunned by this, but one of our uh, West Coast members is in the auto racing business also. It's kind of a side hobby. And um, he was going to build uh, a new business. And he had everything all set up, SBA loans and leases and everything ready to go. He just needed the down payment. The down payment was coming from a family friend who was also a race driver whose name you would recognize. And so Bobby calls up and he says, "Uh, I can't come to the meeting. I'm really in trouble. I've made all these things I've signed. And the down payment, which was going to be kind of an off-the-books loan from a family friend, the guy had a house invasion and he was shot three times. He's in the hospital. I can't get the money. I got to. I say, Bobby, come to the meeting. Comes to the meeting. And in 24 hours, he had a quarter of a million dollars from the other guys. Wow. You know, that's the blood. Now, they had a lot of provisions. And he wasn't getting it all at once. Yeah. But that's the blood that holds these groups together is this care at a very significant level. So, Will, I, I think, you know, in looking at various mastermind and Vistage groups, I think one of the challenges they face is that you're bringing in people together from a lot of different industries. And, in, in, in there's, a, there's a big mantra within those groups that they'll only have one representative from a certain industry and things like that. But you have a very different approach. Yes, and so do. if you would share that, because I think that's a big differentiator. Yeah. So we work in three different industries. And in each case, each group, each mastermind group, if you will, each peer group is composed of people in the same industry who aren't competitors. So they're safe, but they know the industry. And if you looked at the, um, the newspaper just in the last couple of days, there was a lot of talk about the fact that there's been some research on how kids in school learn and the fact that they learn better from teachers who are like them. So that African-American kids learn better with an African-American teacher. Hmm. Hmm? So... This is why we think there's more that goes on with the peers rather than sitting and listening to someone in a different industry. It would be like bringing a baseball player, a football player, and a basketball player together for coaching camp. What are you going to do, run? Well, but there's another piece here that's very important to support what you're saying, and that is that in addition to being in the same industry, they're not geographical competitors. Correct. Right? So that's what really makes it work is that you get the best of both worlds there. Well, we do, except we get a disadvantage. To come to our meetings... To make sure there's no competitors, we're pulling from all over the United States and sometimes from overseas. We have a number of people who fly from Europe or South America to our meetings in the U.S. So everybody who comes is taking a plane. That takes time and it takes money. So that's the downside of getting people who aren't direct competitors together. But that, that to me, Will, um, speaks volumes because... Business people, entrepreneurs specifically, are so sensitive to their time that if they're investing the time, the three times a year you have your meetings, they must see the value because it simply wouldn't happen otherwise. That's, that's, that's true. And so we, we have overcome that because we do get this tremendous amount of commitment to show up. And when someone doesn't show up, it's very nice because the chair of the meeting kind of sits back and says, okay, now let's see what happens. And what happens is like three or four people who are in the meeting are calling this person up and saying, Charlie, where the hell are you? I need you here. I, you know you know all about my company. I've got a big issue I'm bringing up. I want you here. 
And so we've had a couple of times when that's happened, and we generally have a three-day meeting, is that the person shows up on the second day. <laughs> Peer pressure at its finest. I love it. And, uh, and that's kind of blood on the table because you know that someone really had to bust their chops. They, they took a red eye. They got there. In two cases, we've had people show up at noon on the last day. But you know what? That was the guy who got the quarter of a million dollars when he was in trouble because they knew he had blood on the table. He was part of the group. Yep. He made an effort to get there. So let's talk about something I think, Will, that you and I are both passionate about, and that is uh, entrepreneurial education. Uh, you know, I remember, very, very quick anecdote, I remember going uh, last year, being on a panel at Babson College and uh, talking about what you need, what are the ingredients to being a successful entrepreneur. And I just feel like when, when and not, Babson's a great institution. There's nothing against Babson. But I think that the, the areas of focus to be a successful entrepreneur are a little skewed and a little off. And I would love to know, A, what your thoughts are on that, and B, if you, if you were in charge and you had a magic wand, how you would change it? It's a really uh, good question because the, the, the issue is, are entrepreneurs born or grown? Is it possible uh, when you're going to high school or college to all of a sudden decide, oh, I'm going to become an entrepreneur? Kind of like saying, I'm going to become an engineer. I know what to study. It's a different game here because the uh, overwhelming factor, and this is not just from my experience, but from several other researchers, the overwhelming factor in why someone starts their own business, it's not to make money. It's to have control over their life. And so when I was, um, still remember this, I'm in, I'm in sixth grade. There's a big assembly. And, I, and, and all of a sudden, I feel the principal's cold fingers coming down into my collar and yanking me out of the back row of the assembly. And uh, she takes me out in the hallway with two other guys, and I'm accused of throwing spitballs. <laughs> Not that I haven't thrown them, but in this particular case, I was not throwing spitballs. And that experience of having uh, someone else take control of my life and not giving me a fair say or even a chance for my say probably has stuck with me all my life of saying, I don't want someone else telling me how to do it or when to do it. Well, I got to tell you, Will, I, 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 I share that. However... You know what's frustrating to me about how people perceive entrepreneurs is the control that we have as entrepreneurs is, is put up on a pedestal in that, oh, well, you don't have a boss telling you what to do and you can make your own schedule, where in my mind, we have that control, but we work harder. If you're an entrepreneur, you have to work harder than the average person. You know, I'm, I'm, in a, uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a sailor and uh, I have a big sailboat and I'm in a sailing club and we, we bring in lots of new members. And uh, we, we evaluate their sailing skills so, so that we have some idea of who this person is. And over the years, it's really clear there's some really, really talented, good sailors, but they are not captains. And when you put them in the position of being a captain, they can't do it because they can't take control. They can't make a decision. They don't have a command presence. And it's a very simple thing that anybody sees right away between a captain and a crew, but not every crew can go to, and they take all the sailing classes and they're extremely well trained, 
but they just don't have that top quality. So I don't know where that comes from. I think it's trainable. The Marine Corps does it. Well, let's, let me ask you this. Let's be very specific. I think if I was to boil down, and I'll give you one example, and then I'll turn it over to you. I think one example of an essential quality of an entrepreneur is resiliency. You know, coping with the ups and downs and dealing with the ups and downs. So what do you, because if, if we're going to decide if it's teachable or not, what are the qualities you have yeah. to innately have? So you're right. Resiliency is a big deal. And, uh, you know, in, in my former life, when I was younger, I was an outward bound chief instructor. And basically what we taught 16-year-olds was how to be resilient under really tough situations in the mountains. So I think resiliency is teachable to many, not all. But there may be something underneath the resiliency in the entrepreneur. And it may be the most critical key quality that a person has who starts their own business. And that is extraordinary confidence in their ability to make it happen. So that even when they get knocked on their butt, they get back up again because they're confident they can win this fight. And in talking with entrepreneurs who've won the fight and created a hell of a business, a lot of them will say, I had no idea <laughs> how bad it was going to be or how hard it was going to be. And if I really knew that in the beginning, I might not have done it. And so there is a kind of a blind spot which enables great people to do great things. Um, whether it's uh, climbing a first ascent in a mountain and having done that, I know uh, from others that you come down and say, we didn't think it was going to be that rugged. When I climbed uh, the uh, south face of Mount McKinley in 1968, we got caught in a 100-year storm. And we were stuck in a tent about this wide, <laughs> two of us, for 10 days. The winds outside gusted to 140. We didn't expect that. If we knew it, we might not have gone. And so, thank goodness, we were a little bit dumb or blind on that. Mm -hmm. But we had the confidence to feel we could overcome, and we did. Well, well, uh, well there is no doubt in my mind, and I would argue with anybody until the cows comes home, comes home that confidence and resiliency are the single two most important skills. Because if you don't believe in yourself, and think about this, Will. If someone were to come to you, and you probably had this conversation even on many occasions, someone come to you and said, Will, I think I'm going to start a new business. And you're, you ask them requisite questions and stuff, and they say, you know, how confident are you in yourself? You know, the problem is, is I don't think a lot of people even know how to measure and evaluate their confidence level. And that's a, that's a problem because self-esteem and confidence drive everything. Yeah. So here, here's the, here's the so, so, so we need a, a significant chunk of confidence in yourself, but there's a thin barrier here. When you go over it, it becomes arrogance. And the arrogance then prevents you from learning about your impact, about when things don't work, of, of how do we recover from that. So that along with that self-confidence, there needs to be a confidence of self, not in what you're trying to do, but in your own innate strength that you can take some really tough feedback. Well, humility. The humility. Yeah goes with the confidence. So agree. it's kind of interesting it's to a say blend. confidence and humble. Yep. What? Yep. Yes. Yes. They go I together. Agree. I it's agree. both and, not either or. So how do you tell if someone has it? You just look. 
Because here's what happens. I'm talking to the guy who wants to start a business. And he's talking about, you know, why it's important and what he's going to do and so forth. And the next thing you do, he's up out of his chair. He says, okay, so this is what I'm doing next. So you know he's got it. Yeah. If the guy is saying, well, what should I do next? Or if he's saying, where do I get the money? Then we know he's in, he's in a different Yeah, game. except, I agree to an extent, except a lot of people uh, demonstrate a false sense of confidence. So put on a facade for the show and then internally they don't you have that hear, same confidence. You can hear that. You maybe, and you and I maybe can, but a lot of other people can't. It's a hard thing to read for a lot of people. But most of the audience can, can see that this is not like real, solid, quiet confidence. And then we do things. You know, there's, it's, there's, a, lot, there's, there's a lot. You know, you ask people what books have had an impact on them or who their heroes are or heroines. And that tells you something about. And you know what? You don't know until you know, which means you think you're an entrepreneur, so let's try. Right. Let's see what happens. And the other thing that I think shows up a lot is the, um, the adult entrepreneur who was an entrepreneur as a kid. What does that mean? It means, oh, when we were racing those little wooden cars. The lemonade know, stand, Will. In, in fifth grade yeah. or the lemonade stand. Yeah. Uh, and, and they tell you about what they did. You say, oh, okay. So this guy's... He said, not lemonade five cents. He said, buy a season ticket for lemonade. And he said, okay, this guy's thing is kind of interesting ways. Like, I agree. I, and I also feel like it, and it's, it's really a shame because in, in corporate America, I feel like probably the most essential uh, leadership skill is emotional intelligence. And, you know, that self-awareness, self-regulation, relationship building skills but it's still kind of a taboo. It's still kind of a bit of an unknown. It's still a little bit taboo because it doesn't fit the... Yeah. You know, and this is good. This is good because what it means is there's still secrets. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. Love there it. are still secrets. And there's like these secret keys. And when you learn that key, whoo, are you powerful? <laughs> well, I very much have enjoyed our conversation. Before we wrap up, I, I want to ask you, um, you know, the kind of values you have and the kind of uh, successful, thriving organization Rex Roundtable has become. If someone wants to learn more about it, uh, talk with you, what's the best way to get more information about this organization? Well, the simple way is to go online and look at our website, which is rexroundtables.com. Okay. And there's a, the, when you go there, there's two doors, one for members where all the secret stuff goes on. Okay, all right. And then we have the guest door where we treat you nicely, and you can go and, and you can listen to a couple of hundred other people talk about their Rex experience and get some basic background and learn how to get in touch with some of our people to talk about what goes on. And a final question, Will. If I'm watching this um, as a prospective person considering joining Rex Roundtables, what, what would my pain centers be? Where, what are two or three things that I might be saying to myself where I would say, yeah, okay, I, sh- I, should, I should reach out? Well, I think the, uh, you know, Napoleon said people are motivated by two things, love and fear. (laughs) And so we get some people who want to get involved in Rex because of the fear factor, meaning they're saying, you know, I've been working really hard. I'm doing 70-hour weeks. I'm not seeing enough of my family. I don't have enough vacation time. And the business is kind of plateau. I put in energy and it's not growing. So that's the point where you need something else to help you see how to get off that and get on the next staircase. So, so the pain part. 
the other is the love part. The person says, I want to make the absolute best possible business in the world. And we put a lot of emphasis on best, on how do you get to be exceptional. And we have Rex members who have uh, been recognized uh, both nationally by organizations like Forbes magazine and others as being best in class. And so there are some people who just want to be in the Olympics of business. And uh, this is a place to get there. And so that's the drive. Hang out there with some other Olympic athletes and you're going to get jacked up and you're going to get better. Wow, awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. It was really a pleasure uh, having you on the show. Thank you, for, thank you, audience, for joining us for another edition of the Mindset Entrepreneur video podcast. For Will Phillips, I'm Mark Altman. And thanks to Stassa, Peter Stassa of the Video Company and Candace for her help. And we'll see you next time.